Okay, I'm glad you're here. There's a, there's a lot to discuss. There's a lot that's going on right now. Um, and uh, maybe let's just start with the, just the, the calendar. Uh, so, so we're in the month of uh, Tevis, which is, which is considered a, a very dark month, actually. It's, uh, spiritually speaking, there's a, there's a lot of darkness in this month. And um, in fact, today is a fast day, and we'll talk about that in a, in a moment, like what, what it is that we're, uh, we're, we're, we're sad about today. And, but it's, it's, it's worth noting something positive. I'm basing this on something that I learned uh, from Rabbi Wilson. He, he actually applied it to the, when the three weeks are starting, but, but it works very nicely here. Last, today's Sunday, last Sunday was the eighth day of Hanukkah, which is a, the, the day with the most light, right? It's called Zos Hanukkah. We, we light all eight, eight candles. And um, that was exactly a week ago today, you know? Here we have a menorah right over here. And, um, and here we are now, like, heading into this sort of like this dark time in the calendar. And it's sort of like, so to speak, God gives us a menorah as sort of like to hold up as we head into the darkness. In other words, a, a light to shine as you go into the darkness so that you can, you can see more clearly. Because um, what, you, what you understand is how you see the world. Um, and it's, um, you know, there's a, there's a beautiful story that Reb, Reb Shlomo tells, and I, I'm going to make it very, very short, but basically the, the Chernobyl Rebbe is going to collect um, money for, uh, for brides um, who are orphans, and he goes to this city Brod, which, which had a, you know, some, some wealthy people there, and he just keeps on striking out, and it's, it's actually a fairly miserable experience for him. And he's about to give up, and he, he's actually angry at God, and he says to God, you know, if I had been coming here for myself, it would be one thing, but the only reason why I was coming here was, was to just do something good for your namesake, right? And, and, and I've had zero success. It's, 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 it's horrible. And while he's saying this, he sees two police are holding like this, this Yidala, this, this Jew, uh, and um, he's wondering, like, what is this, you know, like two, there's a police on either side, they're arresting this guy, and he comes up and he says, who are you? And he says, you don't know me? He says, I'm famous, I'm Moshe Levaganif, Moshe, Moshe the holy thief, right? <laughs> and he says, and I'm the greatest thief in the entire world, and he's like dancing and everything like this, you know? So, so he says, the Rebbe says back to him, if you're such a great thief, how is it that you got caught? He goes, ah, this is nothing. <laughs> and he, the Chernobyl Rebbe, like, learns from this, that, you know something, here's someone who's, like, showing you, okay, it's a bit of a strange story, but he's saying that, showing him how never to give up. So he decides, okay, so I'm being sent a lesson, never to give up. So he, he, he rededicates himself, and then he's able to do everything that he needs to do. He, he has lots of success. He goes back to his Rebbe, and his Rebbe says to him, so what was it like seeing Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, disguised as, as a thief? <laughs> right? So, so between two policemen, right? So this is, this is awesome. Um, it showed him, it showed him, see, there, there are people who have a setback, and then how can they try again? Because they've, they've tried and they've been destroyed. And then there are people who have had setbacks, and it's like, oh, it's a setback. <laughs> right? And they, they just continue on. And this is, this, is, this is sort of like, so to speak, the, the light of the menorah heading into the darkness. 
In other words, if your attitude is is that God makes miracles, if your attitude is is that ultimately we win, ultimately we win, then you have the strength to keep on going up, right? And and so, so that's uh, that's that that's one thing. Now, when, what is it that we're fasting about today? So so today is sort of like so to speak the beginning of the end. Um, in terms of the siege of the Holy Temple. Today is the day that the Holy Temple in Yerushalayim was surrounded. Um, and, and, uh, and then on the 17th of Tammuz, there's a hole that's actually breached through the walls. And then on, the, on Tisha B'Av, on the 9th of Av, the, the, the Holy Temple is actually burned down and destroyed. But, so this is, it's, it's, this, it's like, sort of like there are three fast days. Um, and this is the one that's at the beginning, chronologically, of the process. Um, but there are other things that happen today as well, and I want to focus in on this one um, because this one, it just, I, I just think that it's instructive for the whole world. I wish the whole world knew that this was happening today, that there are people all over the world today fasting over the fact that, I don't know how many years ago it was, this is recorded in the Talmud, so approximately 2,000 years ago, that the Torah was translated into Greek. So we're, we're literally fasting over the fact that the Torah was translated into Greek. And that was the first translation that was done of the Torah. So, um, do, you, do you want to tell a story of how that happened? Well, maybe let's just get to the point, which is what, what the, the sad part about it. But you're right, Adam. It's worth saying. So, so, uh, so they, they took uh, the, the elders of the Jewish people and they put them each in separate rooms. And they didn't have any contact with each other. And the sages understood individually that there are certain phrases in the Torah that will be misunderstood. That if you don't have a background, they will be misunderstood. So with their minds, they decided to, to translate it in a way where the essence of the meaning will be communicated without the confusing aspect of the literal aspect of it. And what they found was miraculously... All of the sages, it was, was it 70 sages or something like that? It was a lot of sages. All had arrived at the exact same words that they thought were problematic, and all had independently arrived at what word they should substitute and use instead of that word, instead of a direct translation of that word. So there was, there was a big miracle that was done in terms of this translation. And sometimes in scholarly books you'll see it referred to, it's called the Septuagint. Right. That's why if you ever see that word and you're like wondering, what's the Septuagint? That's the Greek translation of the Torah. Now, why are we? You know, it might sound strange. Why are we fasting and why are we all kind of bummed out over that? Because if you were to ask me and I didn't know much about anything, I would say this is fantastic. This is this is getting the the this is now more people will be able to read the Torah and everything like this. Right. Okay. But if you if you think about the following, you'll understand how profound uh, an exile this is. You see, the way they translated it was, was, was very good um, at that time, you know, but um, there's something that you, everyone should know, which is that every translation is a commentary. So what do I mean by that? So, so you see, the Torah is operating on so many different levels that when you, there's like, say, I don't know, I'm just making up this number. There's at least 10, 20, 30, 40, whatever it is, translations for each word or each phrase. So you as the translator have to pick one of them, which means that you now are projecting your ego, 
your personality, your, um, your cultural bias, your, your zeitgeist, however you want to say it, you are now projecting that onto the Torah. And now the, the sages refer to the translation of the Torah as putting a lion in a cage. You are now basically making it small. Not only are you making it small, but your word choices now are going to be very, um, have tremendous repercussions on how other people understand what the Torah is from then on in. Right? So, for instance, I'll just use maybe a contemporary example. Let's say you want to use the pronoun and you want to use the word him for God. Well, in today's day and age, God doesn't have a gender. He's not a him or a her. God is beyond, 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 beyond. God doesn't have a body. God makes bodies, right? So, so, but today, like someone will read him, 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 he, 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 and they'll think, what is this patriarchic, you know, misogynistic, right? Anti-feminist, right? Where, there's no him, there's no her. Right? So this is like one tiny example. This is a tiny example, right? Um, there's so many there's so many there's so many examples. Um, and and what happens is is then people people then become alienated because they think that they're getting in touch with what this text actually is saying, and they're not getting in touch with what the text is saying. And you know, there's a, a, a joke, I'm, I'm not telling it to to make you laugh, but there's a tremendous truism in this um, which applies to this. So, so it goes like this. So, um, so back in the day in the old country, blintzes were like a tremendous delicacy. So a, a poor man says to his, his wife, he says, you know, once in my life I'd like to try blintzes. And he, he says to his wife, you know, uh, she says, absolutely, you know, you, you, I'll give you the ingredients, you get them, I'm going to make you blintzes. He goes, okay, great. She goes, okay, now go and get some, uh, go and get some cinnamon. Cinnamon, are you crazy? Do you know how expensive cinnamon is? Okay, go get some raisins. Raisins, we haven't had raisins here in like, like three years. What do you, oh, okay, get some flour. I can get you a little flour and some sugar. Sugar is very expensive. And some water. Okay, I can get you some water. So whatever it is, she does the best she can. She makes some blintzes. He takes, he takes a bite. And he goes, you know, I really don't know what rich people see in blintzes. <laughs> so, so this is, this is like a very tragic, actually. So this is a very tragic joke. Because what it's, what it, applying it to the, the, the idea of translation and, and just everything like this, what, what it's saying is, is that, you see, what's, what's funny about that joke, the reason why we laugh, is because that man thinks that he actually had blintzes. That, that's what's, and, and we, the audience, knows that he hasn't had blintzes. But he thinks he has had blintzes. So the person who reads the Torah in translation thinks that they've actually read the Torah. But they haven't read the Torah. They don't know what the Torah is. You see? So, so this is also, there's a wider application to, to this, which is that people who have grown up with a, a branch of Judaism, which is tremendously sincere, but lacks all of the, you know, all the classic observances that, 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 that has bound the Jewish people together for thousands of years. And then 
sometimes they'll reject it. And they think that they're rejecting Judaism, but they haven't even figured out what Judaism is. But they've been raised in something called Judaism. So, And certainly there are many Jewish aspects to it, but it, 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 needs, it needs the entirety. So, so you don't get that through a translation. And, um, and it's not just that you don't get it through the translation. It's, it's sort of a double exile. The person who is, is alienated doesn't realize that he hasn't sampled the actual thing. That, that's, the, that's, that's, that's the tragic part. Because then if you go up to them and say, but you don't even know, the person says back to you, chutzpah, what do you mean I don't know? For the last 15 years I've been attending Sunday school. <laughs> how dare you say I don't know? So then how do you work that out? How do you work that out in, in a respectful way, where the person has put in effort, but they haven't had the opportunity to actually explore it in its authenticity? That's where it gets very sensitive and difficult, and, you know, the, these are components of the exile. This is, so, so Reb Shlomo said something very interesting, a very interesting definition of exile. He says, exile is the extent to which you are not granted access to the word. Like a person is in exile from the Torah to the extent that they are not granted the ability to actually see what the Torah itself is saying. So that's, that's, that's a, very, a very evocative type of idea. Okay, so now <coughs> I want to get into the Parsha and, uh, and talk about Yosef and Yehuda. Because Yosef and Yehuda are, are two models um, of tzaddikim, of, of holy, righteous people. And they're very, very different paradigms of righteousness. And in this week's Parsha, it's called um, Parsha's Vayigash. What happens is Yehuda approaches Yosef which means the idea of Yehuda and Yosef getting together. So you have these like two separate paradigms and now they kind of merge together this week. So this is very this is very huge. It's very very huge, okay? So what does Yosef represent? Yosef is the level of the tzaddik, the level of the holy person who never does anything wrong. Yehuda is the level of the holy person who does things wrong, but then rededicates himself. And these are two very different models. And the Mashiach, the Messiah, Mashiach ben David, right, the the ultimate savior of mankind, the Jewish Messiah, is very fascinatingly descended from Yehuda, the one who has made mistakes, but then rises back up and rededicates himself. So it gives hope to everyone, basically, you know? Because how many of us are in the category of Yosef, right? Who have, like, never made a mistake. Okay. So, you know, I want to I wanna kind of build a whole kind of um, structure around this idea of Yehuda and Yosef. Um, and, and I want to start by, by looking at this word Chaim, 
Chaim is it means life in Hebrew. And there's a very interesting comparison between the word for life in Hebrew and the word for life in English. If you look at the middle two letters of the word life in English, it's it spells the word if. So it's sort of like, if only I had this, and if only I had that, and if only I had this, I'd be happy, right? It's like, oh, if, right? Whereas the middle two letters of the Hebrew word for life, Chaim, are the letters Yud and Yud, which is a name of God, meaning to say that the essence of life is God. And you have God right now. Everyone has God. Everyone in the universe has God. Remember, remember the Torah, our understanding is that God looked into the Torah before the world was even created. That the Torah is God's design blueprint for the world and his desire for the world. And so it existed before the world even existed. And then God made the world out of the Torah itself. Which means that everyone in the entire world, whether they're Jewish or they're not Jewish, has to have a share in the Torah. And in fact, we see that's the case. We have what's known as the seven universal mitzvahs, the seven universal commandments. Or if you want to be fancy, the Sheva mitzvahs b'nei noach, right? Which shows you, because it has to be logical, since we're all children of God, that everyone should have a share in the Torah, right? And in fact, everyone does. Okay. So, so this idea of two yuds, which is a name of God, Let's, let's understand this. Let's un- understand w- what name of God is that? Yud Yud. What name of God is that? Like, where do you see that? You don't actually see it in the Torah, Yud Yud. So where does this name of God, Yud Yud, come from? So the answer is, is very fascinating, actually. The answer is that it's actually a uh, contraction of two names of God. You have one name of God, which is the Yud Ke Vav Ke, which begins with the letter Yud. And this, this name of God signifies God's infinity. And you know, it's always important, let me just say as a quick preface, whenever we discuss the different names of God and things like that, we're only talking about Hashem. We're only talking about the God of Israel, the creator of heaven and earth. And we say, Ein od milvado, that there's only one God, right? So, so that's important to understand. So then, what does it mean, different names for God, then? Because that... That sounds confusing if we're only saying there's just this, this, this singularity. So, so the idea is like this. I always like to give this example, if it was how it was taught to me, that my name is David, but my children call me Daddy, right? My wife on a good day will call me Sweetie, right? <laughs> that the guy who I cut off in traffic will call me Hey You, <laughs> you know? So, so my, my, my son's young friends will call me Mr. Sachs. So you see that I have many names, but it's only talking about me. But, and, and if you think about your own life, you also have many names, but it's only you. So the, 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 the defining aspect is how are you manifesting yourself at that moment? So if, if God is manifesting himself in this place of judgment, right? Like, um, you know, that, you know, like he's closing the, the Red Sea on top of the Egyptians who are chasing after, right? That might be Elohim. I don't know, I have to actually check what name is used there. But that, that shows on din or judgment. If God is sort of like bringing rain or feeding us or, or showing love, that might be Yudke Vavke, right? That's a, so it's a question. So that's why the Torah itself is using different names of God 
in different contexts, it's based on how God is manifesting himself in the moment. And of course, the, the quote-unquote Bible critics who, you know, don't get me started, as they say, but anyway, the, 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 who, who try to take a very academic um, standpoint from this say, oh, you see clearly how this is a document that was cobbled together over, you know, many centuries and things like that, because God is referred to as, as different names. In other words, they're, they're missing a very, very fundamental principle about how the Torah communicates to us. And they, and they ascribe, like, very strange theories to why that's the case. Whereas, actually, it's a very beautiful, simple theory. Not theory, but, but reality. Why, why, why it's like that. Okay. So now with that background, let's go back to this idea of where does this name of God, the, these two yuds, come from? Okay, because it doesn't appear in the, it does not appear in the Torah, but it is a contraction of two names of God. One is the yudke bavke, which when God is manifesting Himself out of love, and 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 this infinite quality of God, right? And it begins with the letter yud. Okay, now you have another name of God. Uh, sometimes they refer to it as Adnus, right? Which is Aleph, Dalad, Nun, and Yud. And very tellingly, it ends with the letter Yud. So in other words, the Yud, K, Vav, K begins with the letter Yud. This other name of God ends with the letter Yud. And this second name of God is, is really basically how God is a, uh, a master of nature. Right? It seems like if you walk into the world and you, you see nature... And it, it depends on how you understand how deep you are, basically. How, how profound your insight into reality is. You can look at nature as a separate force, but it's not a separate force. Or you can look at nature as a limitation of God, but it's not a limitation of God. It's just another manifestation of God interacting with the world. So you have God who is a master within borders. That's the second name of God, Aleph, Dalad, Nun, and Yud. Or you have this idea of God being completely transcendent. That's the yud ke vav ke. Okay, so these are two different aspects. God operating beyond borders and within borders. But it's just the same God. Okay. Now, when you make a contraction and you say that these, these two aspects of God are only one force, you bring the first yud together and the last yud together, and you just have yud yud. And it shows you God is master of absolutely everything. Okay? Okay. Now, with this in mind, there's a prayer that we say every day. It's a very, very fundamental prayer. And I'm going to give you a very holy kavana, very holy thing to have in mind when you say it. And this is from the Zohar. And it's, it's this line, it's like the big Parnosa line, the big livelihood line. Right? And it's, Poseach et yedecha umasbilechucharetzon. And even here in the, in the Art Scroll Center, it says, concentrate intently while reciting this verse. Right? So it's very, and if you, if you don't have kavan, if you kind of just rattled it off and you didn't have anything in mind when you said it, you're supposed to go back and say it again. So it's important, and you see, like, even in shul, like, they'll say that line out loud, and they'll say it slowly. So, so here is something to have in mind from the Zohar, okay? So the Zohar says something very interesting so let me translate that into English. It says, um, referring to Hashem, God, it says, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. Okay? So, so 
So meaning that God is, is on an ongoing basis just providing all of us with our needs. And you know, I, was, I remember one time I was unemployed and I was thinking, you know, I haven't got a job. There's no money coming in. How, how are all my needs being provided for right now? And then I thought to myself, you know, I was actually, I think I was sitting in front of a bowl of cereal. I said, well, I'm eating right now, aren't I? You know? And then I thought to myself, even if I weren't eating, right now in my body, there's all sorts of like fat and all sorts of stuff that's being metabolized. I'm being fed right now. Even when I'm not eating, I'm being fed. And then it says God does this with everyone. Even ants. Even creatures that you'll never see under what you literally never let. They haven't even been discovered yet. You know, the, if you look on the internet, Google newly discovered species, 2016, you'll see that every single year they're still finding new animals. There are animals that have not even been discovered yet, and they're being fed right now. <laughs> because whether they're eating or whether they're just metabolizing, God is literally keeping all of his creation alive at every single moment. Right? That's, that is the reality of this. Okay, so, so, so interestingly, the Zohar wants to make a different translation for Yadecha. Yadecha means your hand, right? So again, in English it says, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. So the Zohar says, instead of saying Yadecha, say Yudecha the letter Yud, in plural. You open your Yuds. Remember, we were just learning about the two-letter Yuds. Okay, that's why we're learning this right now. You open your Yuds and satisfy the desire of every living thing. So now, let's plug this back into what we just learned. Okay? So, the idea is that, what are the two Yuds? Well, the first Yud, we know, is from Yudke Vavke. The second yud is from adnus, which is, means like nature, right? So, so what are these two ideas? So yudke vavke represents in this in this construct, it represents potential, infinite potential, okay? And the second name, the second yud, which would represent nature, would represent actualization. So this construct of the two yuds now represent potential becoming actualization. So this is why it's like really like in terms of one's livelihood, this is why this is like you're really like basically tapping into the divine flow of the potential becoming actual. Right? That's why this is like a huge verse in the Torah. Okay? And that's the idea open up your yuds, meaning to say actualization um, becoming real from potential. Right? Okay? So that's, that's very, very cool. And, uh, and, and it's going to take us back to our discussion of Yosef and Yehuda. See, because I realized, wow, Yosef and Yehuda both begin with the letter Yud. Those are two. Those are two letter yuds. And you see, see, Reb Shlomo is saying something amazing. He says in the name of the Ishbitzer Rebbe that Parshas Miketz and Parshas Vayigash. Miketz came, bless you. Parshas Miketz came before. That's the previous parsha. And if you look at it, it's telling one long story. And he says that it's basically one parsha, but it was divided in half in order 
so that Miket should be telling the holiness of Yosef, and Vayiga should be telling the holiness of Yehuda. Right? And again, at the beginning of Parshas Vayigash, what happens? Yehuda approaches Yosef. The two Yuds are coming together. Okay, so now let's let's plug this back into their lives as we know. You see, there's again there's two ways to go through life. There's the way to go through life, which is the way of the like the, the highest, highest tzaddikim, right? The ones who have never made a mistake. That's Yosef. That's a, almost like a heavenly quality, you know? It's like a heavenly quality for a person to be able to, to live a life like that. Then you have sort of like the more earthbound kind of holiness where you're trying your best, but you're messing up, but you're rededicating yourself, right? So that's like Yehuda. Now, you see, Kabbalistically speaking, it's very, very interesting because you have... You have um, Basically, you have the divine flow coming down into this world. Okay? The divine flow coming down, that's called Yesod, or if you want to be fancy, you can call it Zer Anpin. And that's, that's Yosef. Right? That's the, that's, that's, all the different spherod have a different personality attached to them. Yesod is Yosef. So that's, that's this heavenly flow coming down into this vessel, which is this realm, this dimension, which we call Malchus. Okay, and Malchus means kingship. Who is who's the king? Yehuda is the king. Right? So here you have this flow of Yosef coming down into Yehuda. Right? So Yehuda is the king because Yaakov gave Yehuda the blessing that kingship should come from him. And and that's in next week's Parsha. That's in Vayichi, right? That's what we're reading now. And in fact, the Megalia Muko says, if you look at the name Yehuda, it's very interesting. It's the name of Hashem. It's Yudke Vavke, plus the letter Dalit. And he says the letter Dalit within Yehuda stands for David HaMelech, right? Because that's the that's the messianic line. That's the king you are. So, so again, you have this divine flow, which is Yosef going into Yehuda. And, and the idea is, how can we get these two aspects of our lives together? You see? Because if you want to put it, I'm going to put it into my words for, for, for now. Okay, this is just me talking. But I just, I'm trying to make this real for all of us to understand you want to put it this way, Yosef is kind of like our brains, and Yehuda is like our hearts. Okay? Like our brain understands. See, but, you know, they say that the longest distance in the universe is the distance between the brain and the heart. Right? Getting those two things together, because a lot of us know what the right thing to do is. A lot of us are still learning what the right thing to do is, right? And we will never stop learning. But, but... But many times we know what the right thing to do is, but we can't get our hearts to do it. We can't actually align our actions with, with our thoughts. Right? So that's like getting Yosef and Yehuda together, getting our hearts and our minds together. Right? Where we know what the right thing is, but we want to actually have to do the right thing. Right? It's very hard to do in life. See, or to put it another way, Yosef. Rabbi Shlomo says that 
Listen, it says that Yaakov, Yaakov gave everything over to Yosef. So, when they studied together before Yosef was sold by his brothers. So, is it possible that Yaakov wasn't teaching Torah to the other tribes, to his other sons? Of course he was teaching Torah to his other sons. So then, what was that special quality that he was giving to Yosef that the other tribes didn't get? And so, Reb Shlomo says very beautifully, he was able to give over to Yosef the secret that there is no distance between him and the word itself. Him and the word of Torah itself. There is no distance. Which is, which is basically saying that he inoculated him against exile. Because what did, how did we define exile a little bit earlier? Saying that one of the definitions of exile is the lack of clarity or the distance that you have between you, yourself, and the word of the Torah itself. But with Yosef, he was able to eliminate all the distance so that he became like the word, right? He was completely in touch with what it was. And when, when you are in that place, then you can survive anywhere because spiritually speaking, you have been, exile doesn't exist because wherever you are, you're in touch with the presence of God. This is why Yosef was able to be the only Jew in exile. Remember, when Yosef was, was sold into slavery, he was literally the only Jew in exile. And Reb Shlomo says that, where do we get the strength to be Jews in Los Angeles in, in 2016? How is, it po- how is it possible that there is even a Jewish people, really? I mean, when, if you study ancient history, you'll see there were many, many peoples, right? The Carthaginians, right? I mean, there's so many... The, the Etruscans, like tons of ancient peoples, and they were real, and there were lots of them, and they don't exist. There's literally only one people that still exists, and that's us. It's crazy. How does that happen? So, so the way it happens is because Yosef was able to stay a Jew in exile, and he gave us all the strength to this day to be Jews in exile. And I noticed one time that Yosef is the gematria at Sion. Sion stands for Yerushalayim. Can you imagine that his name itself is the gematria Israel, basically, Sion, Zion, right? Which means that even when he wasn't in Israel, he was still completely attached to Israel. So how does he become completely attached to Israel when he's not in Israel? The answer is because there was no distance between him and the word, right? But that's, that's like, a, like he was able to make that head thing his whole life, right? But for us often, that's just a level of understanding, right? But then you get put into a difficult situation and it's like, oh, it's very hard to do the right thing. (laughs) My body is pulling me in this direction. It wants that from me, whatever it is. Okay, so sometimes you make the right call, sometimes you don't, right? But then, see, Reb Shalom said something so beautiful. He said, the question is not how much do you love God when you love Him? The question is, how much do you love God when, when you can't stand Him? <laughs> or put another way, not how much do you love God when everything's going right in your life? How much do you love God when everything's going wrong? That's, that's the real question. That's the real question. Yeah, or when you think everything is going wrong, right? When that's your perception. 
and that's your perception. That's the real question. So the question is sometimes not so much whether we make a mistake or not, because we're all human beings and we all make mistakes. The question is, how am I reacting after I make the mistake? What am I doing at that point? You know, and, and I'll tell you something so beautiful. I, I think this only happened once in my entire life, and I'm happy that it even happened once, by the way. My first child, he did something wrong, and I scolded him. I don't remember what he did, and it certainly wasn't a big scolding or anything like that. And he cried, and he ran. Normally speaking, when children get a certain age, they run away. But he ran back to me and hugged me, right? And that's like our purest, most innocent aspect of ourselves, which we, which we lose. I think we lose it very early in life, you know? Which is the idea, I did something wrong, and now I'm not... I don't want to run away from God, which is what I'm doing now. After I do something wrong, I want to run back to Him. And to be able to restore that dynamic within ourselves, that's Yehuda. That's the aspect of Yehuda. And that's the ultimate fixing of the world, right? Because the world is in a place of... We're so beyond not being Yosef at this point. I mean, it's just not about Yosef anymore. I mean, it is for certain holy people, but, but for the majority of us, it's all about Yehuda, you know? It's all about awakening that aspect within ourselves where we want to run back and where we give ourselves permission to run back, right? Because I, I heard someone say one time, and I love this phrase, it's never too late to do the right thing. You know, a lot of people, it's sort of like someone does something nice for you and you want to write them a letter, you want to give them a present, you want to do all these things, and then time passes and you go, oh no, now I can't write them a letter, now I can't call them, now I can't, oh no, now I'm sure they hate me, now, and then all of a sudden, like this wonderful thing happened, they did something nice, and now you're living in this hell that you made for yourself, you know, because now it's too late to do anything good to, to recognize what they did, you know, and you're like guilt-ridden, right? But, if you ever get to that place, remember this phrase, it's never too late to do the right thing. Because, you know, you say, oh, you know, I've never stopped it. Here's the letter. Dear so-and-so, I just want you to know I've never stopped thinking about the wonderful thing that you did for me. You know, I'm sorry I never wrote to tell you sooner, but I'm thinking about you right now, and I just want to tell you how much I appreciate that thing that you did. You know, lots of love. You sign your name, and then... Exhale, <laughs> you'll feel better. They'll be delighted to get that letter or that email or that phone call, whatever it is, you know? So, okay. So now, here is Parshas Vayigash, this climactic, amazing, amazing moment where Yehuda and Yosef are getting together. Where the idea of the heart, really, and the mind are now finally bridging this amazing distance, and they're becoming one. And this is the destiny of the world. This is the destiny of the world. Clarity is the destiny of the world. Right? What was that? Clarity. Clarity, clarity is the destiny of the world, where we'll be able to actually look around us 
in our own lives in the entire world and we'll actually be able to see what what actually is going on but I have to tell you something you know see I'll tell you a very strange story a very very strange story well actually I'm not going to tell you the story I'll just tell you the point I'll tell you the point which is which is which is that um, as great as it's going to be when when the oneness of God is is completely revealed as great as that moment is going to be the truth is is that there's a special thing that we can do now which is to do the right thing in a very difficult time and that opportunity is no longer going to be here and that opportunity is going to be sort of missed on some level to be able to to be able to do it when it was hard to do you know there's an interesting halacha which is that you know the Jewish people accept converts right but it says when when the Messiah comes we will no longer accept converts because at that point it will be obvious right so so in today's age, no one, by the way, has to convert. There's no, there's no um, mitzvah or commandment to convert. We have every, every person in the world has, has a share in the Torah. They have the seven universal commandments, and that's huge. Plus, Judaism, and I'm always so proud to, to communicate this, this, this thought because I think that it, it's, it's, an, it's an example of how we know that the Torah is the truth is that the righteous from all nations have a share in heaven. All nations. There's no exclusivity. There's no sense that unless you accept so-and-so as your savior, you're going to burn in hell. We don't have any of that. We don't have any of that. How could it be that a person lives a righteous life their entire life, and they, they, they serve God how they understand him, and then they, as, as their reward, they burn in hell for all eternity? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It makes no sense whatsoever. So, so Judaism doesn't have that. Judaism says the righteous of all nations have a share in the world to come. Of course, it can't be any other way. Of course that's the case. But it's an example. It's an example. The reason why I brought it up is it's an example of how in our own lives and how in this world, everything that we do while God is so concealed at this point in history, and it's also confusing, everything that we do that's sincere and, 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 and is a mitzvah, is extra, extra, extra valuable. It's, it's extra treasured by God because it's done in the darkness, precisely because it's done in the darkness. Um, so that is a limited window in history. We're still in it. We're getting toward the end of it. But we're still in it. So, so treasure the clarity that's coming. Treasure the darkness that's here. <laughs> Get your minds and hearts together, right? And let's just hear great things. Okay. Amen. 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 Now for some questions and answers. Get a talk. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned that that story of the of the holy thief. Um, the big question that comes to my mind is: How do we know, in terms of fighting to achieve something 
when it's time, when it's really time to repurpose right. our energy and yeah. move in a different direction. Right. I mean, there's so many stories of people who who keep trying and yeah, trying, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and they're in the point of failure. Right. Right. And then it's that one little bit they try, and right. the gates open up. But what right. about the stories of the people who spent right. 10 or 15 years, 20 years doing something? Yeah. And uh, they're not moving forward. So yeah. what's a skillful way to measure yeah. like, this thing so, that I'm doing? You know? Yeah, so you know something? Um, I think that uh, sometimes, you know, you, you have, you know, it's it's funny in the in the in the in the in the in the halachas of uh, making blessings over food. You have something called it's a whole kind of area of halacha called uh, uh, ikar and tafel. Ikar means the uh, the the main part, and tafel means the auxiliary part. So, for instance, let's say you have um, uh, Cheerios and milk, right? So you make a mazonos on the Cheerios, but you don't make a shakol on the milk, right? Because the ichor, the essence of it, are the Cheerios. And the milk is kind of like just kind of this thing that kind of comes along with it, but it's not the main part. So it's not elevated enough to make a, a blessing over it, okay? So in life, we also have, in terms of our pursuits, we have the ichor and the tuffle, right? So there's, there's a way... There's a way to say, for a person to say, well, you know something, I've been pursuing this, pursuing this, pursuing this. Maybe there still might be a, a moment where it's going to click into place, but I'm going to change it from the, from the ichor to the tuffle. In other words, it's still going to be in my life. It's still going to be in the bowl. But instead of it being the Cheerios, it's now going to be the milk. <laughs> and I'm going to make something else the Cheerios. I'm going to just reprioritize. So that way, I'm keeping it in play. Mm. I'm keeping it in play, but I'm not making it the essence because now I have to make something else that might be more practical, the essence. So yeah. Ikar means the, the essence? The, the essence, tuffle, right. Tuffle, translated? tuffle means extra, like extra, basically, extra. yeah. yeah. So it's along for the ride. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You can go to, you can yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, like sometimes you'll hear like in yeshivish learning, like someone will say, but the ikr zach, which means that the main thing, the ikr, you know, like the main point, the main point, you know.